Welcome to the Am I Called podcast. Am I Called is a ministry that exists to help men find their call and to help pastors find called men. For more information and resources, visit amicalled.com. Now, here's your host, Dave Harvey. Afternoon, folks from the thriving metropolis of Tallahassee. This is the Am I Called podcast, and I'm your host, Dave Harvey. I think my first encounter with Matt Perman was while he worked, and still worked, I should say, at Desiring God. I think this was around early 2008. And Matt was kind enough to send along an idea for a book that I was writing on ambition, an idea that proved to be a pretty substantial piece of the project. And those are the kind of emails, by the way, that one loves to get. But since then, Matt has left Desiring God to become an author, a consultant, a a speaker around around the ideas that are laid out in his uh, outstanding book, What's Best Next? How the Gospel Changes the Way You Get Things Done. So you you know you've written something really important and really something that needs to be read when John Piper himself says in the foreword, and this is the first thing that John Piper says in the foreword, he says, This book is simply extraordinary. Matt, it's great to have you with us. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Now, did I see an online announcement that you just got engaged? Yes, that is correct. Just got engaged. Super excited about that. Uh, Congratulations. You you got a date yet? Yes, it's soon, November 21st. Ah, wonderful. It It is coming up. It would be really bad if a productivity consultant didn't have a date yet. Oh, that's right. Oh, you know, and we've we've got a project plan for the wedding. We are we are implementing all of the principles. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, one of the th- first things I thought when I thought about us talking, Matt, was just the the title of what's what's best next. Uh, and I've got to be able to pronounce it clearly, don't I? What's <laughs> best next? Uh, it's a it's clear. It's unusual for uh, an unusual name for a book. You know, is there any story behind that title? There actually is a story behind it. Uh, it's pretty cool. I so I'm I'm taking the phrase from John Piper's mentor, mentor Dan Fuller. He used to say, "The key question of sanctification is not what would Jesus do, but what what's best next." And that always I always thought that was interesting. I, I believe it's helpful to ask what would Jesus do or what would Jesus have me do. But I thought it was creative the way Dan Fuller phrased that. And he was pulling it from Ephesians 5. Yeah. Ephesians 5, 17 and surrounding, which is the key New Testament text on time management. You know, we are commanded there to make the most of the time. And Dan Fuller just said, yeah, another, in other words, we are to do what's best next. It's another way of saying make the most of the time. And I thought it was especially useful as a title for the book because with that background, it ties time management to sanctification. T- time management is actually a sanctification issue because it's about making decisions in the everyday. It's about making good decisions and, and where to do all that we do for the glory of God. So knowing how to make good decisions with our time is a way of honoring God in a component of our sanctification and discipleship. So that's what's behind the title. Yeah, and actually, I I think I think this is the first um, time management book that I've ever read that, ac- that actually mentioned and talked about justification as well. I, I, you have a whole chapter on productivity, and you you start with the doctrine of justification. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, in fact, 
that's one of the reasons I wrote the book because I wanted to write that chapter. Because um, I started out, you know, my focus has always been theology. And in college, I would read theology all day and write articles to remember what I was reading and talk about it with my friends. Got to know Justin Taylor in college. He blogs at Between Two Worlds, as you all know. And we became friends in college and just we're really into apologetics and theology. But um, uh, so I'm, I'm a theological guy and I love the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And Piper has a great chapter in his in one of his books um, in the Swans Are Not Silent series on William Wilberforce. And he pulls out of there how the doctrine of justification by faith apart from works is what spurred Wilberforce on to do so many good works. He was the great evangelical social reformer that helped bring an end to slavery in the British Empire. And because of my love for the doctrine of justification and its connection to causing good works, I've, I conceived of the book from the start as an outworking of the doctrine of justification. I, I believe all practical action in the Christian life needs to be founded in, in doctrine, in what God has done, especially the doctrine of justification by faith apart from works. That's at the heart of the Christian faith. And so that's at the heart of how I understand productivity, which is about action. We, we need to understand it in light of justification by faith apart from works, or otherwise we turn our works into uh, a way to prove our significance, a way to find ultimate meaning, when we, we will never find ultimate meaning there. Ultimate meaning comes through faith in Christ, and then works follow. And I, get, I guess that gets to the, the question of, of why we would need a, a time management book for, book for Christians. I mean, you mentioned sanctification earlier. Now you're talking about justification. I mean, yeah. I, t I told two different guys I was interviewing you, and I said, so if you had an opportunity to talk to Matt Perman, what, what would you ask him? And both of them said the same thing. You know, with all the management books out there, you got David Allen and, you know, getting things done and, and a number of others that, and they seem to really help people. They seem to really help Christians. Yeah. You know, why, why do we need a time management book for Christians? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a great question because the secular books out there, like getting things done, are really helpful. There is very useful stuff in them. And we don't need to feel like we need to create a Christian version of everything in the world. You know, uh, I don't think we need a Christian Facebook, for example, you know, Christian book or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, let's just use Facebook. And I think that that stems from a proper understanding of uh, Christianity and culture. God wants us engaging with the world. Otherwise, we can't be salt and light if we're not out there. At the same time, though, we do need to think about everything in a biblical way, in a gospel-centered way, because Christianity is a worldview. It's not simply how to get to heaven, as crucial as that is, but it's about the resurrection and renewal of all things in a way of thinking about all of reality. And so that means we need to understand everything in light of the scriptures, and that includes time management. And books like Getting Things Done by David Allen or First Things First by Stephen Covey, which is really fantastic, they don't make the connection to God. So when Christians read them, they, they learn lots of great techniques, but they've got to connect the dots on their own, which is fine. But really, we, we needed a book that makes those connections and dives them deep because 
it's part of teaching people to obey all Jesus commanded. Let's show them how to understand time management, something that affects everything they do every day in light of the gospel. Let's not just leave it up to people to figure that out by themselves. We don't leave it up to people to figure out the Trinity, you know, all on their own. There's helpful books on it. And let's do that with time management. That's what I was thinking. Now, as you were thinking about it, Matt, as you're studying productivity and time management and thinking about it theologically, um, did you find that, that, that Christians seem unusually prone to see uh, organizational principles and time management principles is somewhat, I don't know, is profane the right word? That's probably too strong. Just maybe yeah. non-spiritual or yeah. as if it trivializes Christ's body by assigning some kind of, you know, sub-spiritual term to it. Yeah. I really did encounter that a lot. And, you know, and, and it was a little discouraging, actually. It, I, And I, I think it, it stems from, it's a type of dualism, really. You know, a lot of times we think of dualism as just devaluing the material world, thinking that food and having fun are, are somehow not spiritual or something. And the church has done a good job, especially of late, of, of countering that and showing how, you know, uh, creation is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. But when it comes to time management and stuff that seems like business thinking to people, there still tends to be that dualism going on. Oh, we don't need that. That's for the secular thinkers. And what I want to say is there's a lot of value in what the secular thinkers are saying because that's a manifestation of God's common grace. And that's always been a part of the Lutheran and Reformed doctrine of vocation, an affirmation of common grace and the good that exists out there in secular thinking. So I, I did encounter a lot of pushback. It frankly was a bit, bit discouraging, hmm. especially, especially since is, you know, there isn't a lot out there on time management from a Christian perspective. And so I, I didn't have much company at first, but um, I would, I would, I countered that with, you know, the doctrine of the vocation and common grace. I remember reading, um, I think it was McShane who who said something like God God gave me a message to deliver and a horse to ride. Alas, I've killed the horse and now I can't deliver the message. And and you know one of the things I thought about when I when I read that was how how Christians don't tend to think about the relationship between the horse and the message. It's it can just be about the message and yet the you know the, that the, the brilliance of that that quote or that illustration is that he's aware that the message is dependent upon the delivery system. Yeah. And so you're basically helping people to, uh, you know, to improve their delivery system. And that is a great quote and a great point. And it, it is, yeah, it is so easy to think the horse, the delivery system doesn't matter, but it doesn't. And I learned that by working at Desiring God. Piper has a great message, amazing things to say, but behind the scenes, all of us on the team, at one point it was about 40 people, we had a lot of work to do to make the delivery system work. And the message wouldn't be, wouldn't have been getting out there to as many people without that work. And that's part of how I saw how understanding productivity really is spiritual. It really is a partner with theology, not an opponent to it. 
Yeah, and you kind of bring that that distinct blending in terms of your the way God has worked in your life, your your calling. You mentioned earlier that you went to school at, in Louisville at Southern. You got, you have an MDiv from there, and you you've been embedded in the world of time management as well. So you know how did it how did your um, you know your journey work in such a way that those dots got connected? Yeah, it's it's really cool because uh, my focus early on was was theology and almost exclusively theology. I, I thought it was cool. Piper talked about how he skipped all the practical classes in seminary, <laughs> and I thought that was pretty cool at first. I just I love theology. I was, I've been heavily influenced by Grudem's systematic theology, John Piper, obviously. I I love theology. It's my first inclination intellectually and spiritually. But when I got done with seminary in Louisville, I, I thought to myself, I was 26, and I thought, who wants a 26-year-old pastor? I felt like I was too young to be a pastor. Now, that was probably not the best thinking, actually. Probably, probably, probably had some errors in my thinking there. But nonetheless, that's what I was thinking. I'm not, not old enough to be a pastor yet, so boy, what do I do? And I had a bit of a vocational crisis there, um, having my degree and wanting to wanting to do ministry, but not seeing a path. And how old were you at this point? Twenty six. And I had been working part time at Desiring God while going through seminary, and a position opened up to get John Piper on the radio and run the web department. And so I was like, well, this this seems like a great fit because it allows me to stay in ministry, but um, do something that a 26-year-old can do. Uh, since I was thinking, you know, pastoral ministry wasn't for me yet. And what I found in that job is I really had to learn how to get things done because there was a lot of stuff to do, a lot of managerial stuff to do, a lot of logistical stuff. So I just said to myself, I'm going to apply the same uh, diligence to learning time management and productivity that I did to theology. So I started reading a bunch of books. Um, There's a great guy, the director of operations at Desiring God at the time, was recommending getting things done and Jim Collins' Good to Great. Mm -hmm. So I ate those up, learned a ton, and and kept reading and and developed my own time management approach that I used as I served in the ministry there at Desiring God. Hmm. That's that's fascinating. (laughs) Now, you know, I came into ministry... um, like the mid '80s, and uh, that was a time when, um, as we mentioned earlier, there were principles of organization, time management, but it was all kind of non-spiritual stuff. But and and viewed to be less less essential, less necessary for ministries. And so the guys were, of course, that were in ministry were going outside to the Tom Peters books or the Blanchard books, and you know the early management gurus. It, it seems like things have changed a lot in the church overall and I'm talking about the broader you know trends within the evangelical church and and so my I guess my question is if, if your book represents a kind of change in ethos in in that ethos of uh, time management productivity being non-spiritual what what would you say are the trigger points for that for these shifts that that have taken place over the last decade or so yeah, that is a great question. I'm going to give you my best guess. I mean, that's the type of question that would be really fascinating 
to do some research on. And uh, oh man, I think there'd be really neat stuff there. So here's my guess: three things. First, I think Jim Collins' book *Good to Great* represented a significant transition point. I I started seeing so many ministries valuing what Jim Collins had to say and benefiting from that book and starting to see it as spiritual to learn about these things. And, and it was ultimately a non-profit version of that that came out, right? Yeah, good to great in the social sectors, and it is fantastic. It is really, really good, and it's, it's short. It's, I don't know, 30 or 40 pages. I highly recommend it. Yeah, because he argues that the principle, some people say, oh, business thinking, it just applies to businesses. Don't bring that into the church. And there are aspects of business that should not be brought in the, into the church, obviously, because uh, business is its own realm, has certain you know, unique components to it. But there's a lot that's overlapping, too, because business and ministry, you're both dealing with people. And there are certain general principles that overlap. And Collins points out the answer for nonprofits is not, you know, they need to be more like business. The answer is they need to be excellent, just like businesses need to be more excellent. And so he draws an analogy to this common language of excellence. Businesses need to do better also. What are the principles of excellence that need to apply to businesses and nonprofits? And they'll apply differently at nonprofits, but there's this underlying core. And I think that helped people understand better. Business thinking is not something that will ruin the church or infect the church. Uh, there's really a, some common ground there that, that applies to both worlds. So that was like a plank in the platform that was, that was being built for nonprofits and for churches? Yeah, I think so. And then I think, now this is a big guess, but I, I, I think there's something to it. I think Gene Veith's book, God at Work, which came out around, what, 2001 or 2002, was another big component that helped bring about a change in ethos. It is a fantastic book. You, you really get a good understanding of the doctrine of vocation. And in there, he points out the value of secular thinking. I think that the, that book gradually influenced as it worked its way through the church. It allowed people to see there is great value in secular thinking. We are to learn from it and not reject it wholesale. So I think Veith had a huge impact. And then I think Mike Horton also. His book, Where in the World is the Church, is really good and it presents a helpful model for understanding common grace and how to use the Bible. And, you know, he talks about we shouldn't make the Bible say things it doesn't say. We, we don't need to go to the Bible to, um, you know, <laughs> to learn, you know, how to sell books if you run a bookstore or, or uh, do insurance claims if you work for an insurance company. But the Bible does apply in terms of ultimate principles. But, but we're free to learn the best methods from research and secular thinking. The, the methods a lot of times are the same between a Christian and non-Christian. And I think having that paradigm explained clearly, I think, had a big impact. Hmm. So th that's my guess. There's probably a lot more to it. But I, I think those three things played a big role. You know, I remember, I think it was the late, 80s, um, I heard what at that time would have been a message on a cassette tape um, by a guy named Jim Detmer. I think he was at Willow Creek at the time. The message was called Community Cause Incorporation. 
Yeah. And he, he pointed out that uh, that we got we have to look at the church as, in terms of these three different motifs or metaphors and as if they exist in tension. And if they're not blended in some way, there's going to be a frustrating imbalance in the church. Uh, so, in other words, you know, the church is a family, it's a community, the church is a is an army, it's a cause, but it's also an organization. It's a, you know, he uses the word corporation. Uh, Kuiper talks about an organized organism. Um, but he, he's basically saying, and I don't think all of those hold the same significance, um, but community is is critical. I mean, we have to be a people of love and cause is essential. We have to be a people of mission. But if the corporation isn't in place, uh, community cause aren't going to happen. And that, that was kind of where he was getting at. So that was one of the first Christians that I heard advocating for a, a corporate side of thing or an organizational side of, uh, of thought. Ooh, that's good. That, that makes, oh, that's helpful. That makes a lot of sense because because there is that organizational dimension to the church. It's not the only dimension, but it is there. Therefore, we do need to understand how to get things done and certain principles of how to lead people well. Yeah, I think of them well. I think of Act Six. You know, where um, everything seems pretty organic, pretty fluid, uh, but then growth comes, and they're all of a sudden having to organize the organism, yeah. and uh, you know, creating a whole other uh, tier of leadership, a tier of management, so yeah. that the widows get fed, and and then blessing comes as a result. So, yeah. So we see it in scripture as well. You know, I, I think, um, you know, most pastors that I encounter, Matt, and I, I feel this way myself often, just, just feel like we don't get enough done. And okay. so just for a second, let's, let's just put you in, a, in the counseling chair. Let's imagine you're sitting across from one of those pastors saying that right now. Matt, I just don't get enough done. What are you saying to them? Yeah, yeah. So I, I start with some questions to understand a little more, uh, boy, and I empathize with that, and I see it. It is common among pastors. Uh, the first thing I'd ask them is, okay, what are your main pain points to you know, get a more precise read on the challenges, on why they're not getting enough done, what they feel like they need to be getting done that they're not? And then I'd ask, what is the one top priority you need to accomplish for your church. And I word it that way, one top priority, because if you list 10 priorities, then none of those can really be a priority. It's just too much. So I'd say identify what is the main thing you need to accomplish for your church. We'll start with it. There are other things you need to do, no question. But let's start with the main thing. Put the big rocks in first. And for a preaching pastor, that's preaching. And I think a lot of times the preaching, uh, the time to prepare for preaching gets compromised because of administrative demands and all the other stuff that needs to get done. And I think if the pastor is involved in preaching, preaching needs to be prioritized. And maybe that's blocking two days a week for sermon prep. Maybe it's one. I mean, depending on how the pastor best works. But that time needs to be protected and not to be used for doing email or pastoral visits. It needs to be protected. And that's where they need to start. And I saw John Piper do that at Bethlehem. That was, he he had his sermon prep, it was protected time. And 
that was that was really key and foundational to his effectiveness. And, and I would want to say to pastors, don't feel guilty about blocking off enough time for sermon prep. Do not feel guilty about that. That's one of the chief things you're supposed to be doing. We see the apostles saying that in Acts 6. No, we should not be distracted from the ministry of the word and prayer to wait tables. And that's, but not that waiting tables is a bad thing at all. It just wasn't their chief role. They had to prioritize preaching and prayer. And then I'd, I'd say, you know, I recommend two days for sermon prep, Thursday and Friday, and then Monday through Wednesday or whatever their schedule. You know, they got to have their day off in there too. Put pastoral visits and everything else on other days and other time blocks. And, and I know that can't totally be followed. Um, you know, there's always exceptions that happen, but I'd use a schedule to prioritize sermon prep and then some of the other stuff, got to let it go and, and, and got to be okay with that. And you can be okay with that. Is that there, I think that's, yeah, go ahead. Well, is there a sense that uh, pastors have to get accustomed to the reality that their, their life is probably going to be aspiring to more they can than they can accomplish you know yeah. that, that the inability to complete all that we desire is really an important distinction between us and god god is omnipotent we are yeah. not god is omnicompetent you know he he finishes his his list we don't yeah yeah that's right that's great that's a great point yeah it it points to our finitude uh it helps build humility and i think paul's statement in romans 12 don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to applies here. Sometimes thinking we can get more done than we really can is a form of thinking too highly of ourselves. And so here we have some biblical warrant for accepting our limitations and being okay with the fact that we can't get it all done. And, and I, I don't think we should mis- measure our effectiveness typically by how much we get done. It, it needs to be more about what are we getting done? Are we getting the right things done? I don't think we should beat ourselves up when the quantity is just not where we want it to be. I think quality matters more, and God understands we have to make choices. We can't get it all done. I, so I would really encourage pastors not to feel guilty. Do their best, but let, let their motive be serving people. What do people need? And not fall into judging themselves or feeling guilty, unless there is a legitimate laziness at play, but but usually with pastors, there isn't. Yeah, actually, it's you saying that um, reminds me of a de- definition of sloth that I heard, where it, it's not inactivity, but it's yeah. you know wrong activities, doing doing what I want rather than what I need. Yeah. Um, or or for pastors, I think it can be what other people want us okay. to do rather than. What, what we need to be doing. Absolutely. Uh, I, I have a friend who had been a pastor, and his congregation expected him to treat email like the telephone. <laughs> so whenever they emailed him, he was supposed to respond right away, as if it was a phone call. And he started to get burned out. Hmm. And, you know, that's a, that's a really tough way to work. you got to treat email that way for your congregation. And there he was being governed by other people's expectations. And so he talk, in charge. T- talk to talk to us about how we should treat email, Matt. Yeah. Well, I I believe in checking it in batches, not continually. First of all, because if you're checking it continually throughout the day, it's really hard to 
to really get focused in on a task. It's like constantly distracting yourself and the mental pathways get thrown off because you're not staying with one thing long enough. So I recommend like checking every hour, maybe on the hour or maybe every three hours on some type of schedule, not continually. And then I also recommend at the beginning of the day, the very beginning, getting it to zero, processing everything that came in since you left work the previous day overnight. And that really gives you the peace of mind to be focused on other things throughout the day. If you can, because you know, we, you, you got your email taken care of in the morning. And more is coming throughout the day. Check it on the schedule every hour or whatever. But it really makes a big difference if you can process your email all the way it, first thing in the morning. Hmm. That's good and helpful. Um, I wish I applied it better. <laughs> no, it can be hard. Matt, one of the reasons why uh, the Am I Called podcast exists is not only as a leadership resource, but specifically to, to, to kind of aim some content at guys that are evaluating, thinking, assessing whether they might be called to ministry. And I, I'd like to just take the, what we're talking about and aim it in that direction as well. What, what would you want to say to guys that are considering ministry about the typical pitfalls they might encounter in in ministry with time management and productivity. Yeah. Well, one pit, pit, pitfall is so ironic. It can be easy to reduce your time in the Word and prayer because of busyness. And I'd say don't do that. Don't let that happen, especially as a pastor or anyone in ministry, your time in the Word and in prayer is fundamental. It's part of what God really wants you to be doing. He wants you to be spending your time that way. That's the Acts 6 reference you just you just referred to. Exactly. So, you know, you can't get everything done. you got to make choices. The choices are either going to happen on purpose or by accident because you're not being deliberate. And... Don't let the time and word and prayer be what goes. Let that be a fixed point. It's a priority. And then you adjust your other tasks around your remaining capacity. Also, man, just remember you are doing your work for the Lord. You know, what a tragedy to be in ministry and be so busy. It overtakes your relationship with the Lord. And, you know, really ministry is... is in itself doesn't have to be in opposition to a relationship with the Lord is to be done from that relationship and with Him. And to be conscious about that. So to go through the day, don't get so focused in on the appointments and tasks that you forget you're doing these things with God. In one sense, a co-worker with God. That, that stems from the doctrine of vocation. Not the leader, not more important than God, but God stoops down and involves us in his work. And so in that sense, there's a type of co-working going on. And enjoy that. Enjoy God in the tasks of ministry. Know he's with you and do them consciously in dependence on him by praying continually throughout the day. You know, that's one of the things, I mean, I think every Christian knows it, but it's one of the most important things I ever learned when I was, I think, five. My mom told me I could pray anywhere and at any time. And that just, it transformed my life. It, 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 that, that has made a big impact. 
And so don't forget to do that when you're doing ministry of all things. Hmm. That's, that's good counsel. Um, as long as we have their attention, Matt, the, uh, you know, the, the listeners, of the Am I Called listeners, do you have any other things that you're working on right now? Got any other projects that, that might be of interest to, uh, to folks that are listening? Yes, got some exciting things going on. Um, I'm working with a friend of mine, James Kennard, and we are turning What's Best Next into an organization. So it's been the blog for a long time, and it's the book. And we see a need for Christians to have more resources, to have on, on gospel-centered productivity, to have training. Uh, and so we're starting to offer some of those things, more training uh, that we can do in churches. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen a big need for that and a big hunger for that. And, we've, and I've been doing some of that, and we're going to seek to do more of that. We're going to put more resources online. I, I have a bunch of articles I wrote on leadership and management from a biblical perspective that um, are not online. We're getting those online. We are, um, so there's going to be an online store on there. And we are seeking to launch a book this fall, a shorter book on productivity called Maybe Effective in Doing Good. And it takes the principles of gospel-centered effectiveness and puts them into a short book, makes it very accessible. Whereas What's Best Next is a longer book. Some people might say, well, I don't have time to read all of that. This is the type of book someone would have the time to read and could easily pass on to others. So kind of an abbreviated exposition of how to be productive in a gospel-centered way. And is there information on all of this at your site and and? What exactly is the name of your site? What'sBestNext.com? Yep, exactly. What'sBestNext.com. There's more information there. We'll be launching an updated version of the site soon. But in the meantime, on the right side of the site, they can subscribe to the newsletter right there if they would like more information and like to be kept up to date with these developments as we launch it as an organization. So right on the side, they can subscribe to the newsletter. Well, Matt, you have uh, you have served us first by publishing a great resource in that book, and uh, and now by allowing me to interview you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's been a joy. I love talking about these things, and and thank you so much, folks. This is the uh, Am I Called podcast, and I'm your host, Dave Harvey. And if you're interested for more podcasts like just like this one talking with leaders, covering race, same-sex attraction, pastoral ministry, calling, a host of stuff, go ahead and visit amicall.com. And, uh, you know, there's articles and audio resources, and there's a there's an assessment test there as well, so it's, and it's all for free, and it's all for you. Thanks for joining us today. <laughs>